0: Begin transmission. Transmission. The Frontline Gaming Network presents Art of War. Strategy and tactics. Discussions with the best players on the planet. The Frontline Gaming Network. Presenting Art of War with Nick Nanavati and John Damaris.
1: Hello and welcome to another episode of the Art of War podcast. We are so lucky to be joined this week by a former ITC champion, Brandon Grant. That's two in a row for those of you keeping score at home. We're going to be talking all things in Guard in Ninth edition. But before we get there, I have to let you guys know that we are currently doing a contest where you can win $1,500 in GW product plus a lot of other amazing prizes. You just go to 40kprizes.com and enter your email, and you're in it to win it. And if you stay to the end of this episode, we'll give you a code word that's worth another additional five entries. Okay. Uh, joining me, as always, is the one and only Nick Nanavati, one of the best players in the world, and he's going to help us frame this discussion and make get the most out of it that we can. Uh, Nick, could you please introduce Brandon, and then let's start
2: talking about his
1: new list and his ideas around ninth edition.
2: Absolutely. So, Brandon Grant? Is one of the best players out there, former ITC champion in 2018. Uh, I've had the pleasure of playing him multiple times, and every time it's been a very hard-fought battle. Uh Brandon's one of the most scientific uh engineering minds in 40k. So he's got a very unique, rigid approach to the game, and it's he's gotten a lot of success with armies that aren't always super popular or super powerful. Like he piloted Imperial Guard to a high success last at the end of last edition. And they weren't doing super hot. So we're here to get his ideas on how Astro Militarum are going to adapt to 9th edition. How are you doing,
3: Brandon? Uh, well, it's really good to be here again, and I'm super excited that our topic is Astromilitarum Militarum slash Guard in 9th edition, because I'm super excited to talk about that.
2: Awesome. So what kind of ideas do you have for 9th edition involving Guard?
3: So if you're going to talk about Guard in general, um, for everyone who's already familiar um the things that make them strong are a combined arms approach to winning the game so um they have first of all extremely cheap infantry uh sure the infantry don't actually do anything on the table but they can take up space which is super important if you want to say hold an objective without spending too many points to take it or block enemy reserves from showing up where you don't want them or screen out assaults so they can't get to more important things. So they have a bunch of pawns that they can bring. And then they have some really heavy-hitting vehicles and specialized infantry to help support everything working together. So any one unit in the guard book is easily overcome by something else. So, for example, even in ninth edition with vehicles being able to shoot into melee, most of guard weapons are blasts or um, not able to shoot into melee. So if you have a Layman Russ battle tank with a battle cannon, if you still charge it, uh, which you have to pay command points now to overwatch, when it does overwatch, it only shoots once, not twice, like it normally does with the grinding advance rule. Um, so you're going to get in. And then once you're in, it can't shoot you, even in Ninth edition, if it's armed with a battle cannon. So even something like the Mighty Leman Russ has severe weaknesses. And most guard units are like this. Like uh, Even Bulgrin's, as tough as they are, Um, and as hard as they hit in melee, they're slow, and they don't have guns. So if you have ranged, they're pretty easy to deal with. So you have to know how to apply each of these guard units together uh, as a unified whole to be able to win the mission. So on that point, um, the new ninth edition missions are going to give you the direction that you're looking for when it comes to determining what direction your list should go. So for example um one of the ways that nick and i share similarities is we like the same play style and that play style is try and build an army and a play style that um is already winning as you're put the model putting the models on the table and what that means is that your opponent if they just stayed in their deployment zone would lose the game but ninth edition has changed that Um, if you stay in your deployment zone Uh, it really doesn't matter if you're winning on the board, you're going to be losing on terms of earning secondary and primary points. So for those not familiar, um, I know that this is going to be a quick recap, but basically, the primary missions are really rewarding you holding objectives every turn for the most part. And um, just holding one objective, your opponent is going to outscore you consistently, and it's going to be very difficult to catch up because the new secondary missions are very hard to max out. So if you're maxing out the primary missions and getting a reasonable score on the secondaries you're probably going to win Um, and again all the secondaries have also shifted focus from not just killing more enemy units or killing certain types of enemy units sure you can pick one secondary that's like that but they're very specialized so even when you pick one where you would think uh oh i'm playing a horde army i better pick the secondary that rewards me for killing lots of models well, to max that out, you need to kill 150 models. Not including models with 10 or more wounds, which count as 10 models. Um, good luck. Um, most armies are not going to be able to give that up unless you're playing Horde Orcs or Horde Tyranids. I don't know. Horde, you can see Colt, is that still a thing? Regardless, most of the secondaries that actually reward points that you can possibly max are about holding table quarters. Um, raising banners on objectives um it's about being in your opponent's deployment zone it's about being in each third of the table your zone the middle and the opponent's deployment zone so you're gonna have to move out of your deployment zone and possibly into your opponent's zone at many points in the game in order to score points so being able to control where your opponent places models is huge and on top of that on ninth edition the boards are smaller So, whereas before, Guard could just sit in the corner with their 240-inch range Basilisk and not worry that their opponent will ever be in range to it, now, if you're doing a Dawn of War-style deployment, uh, your deployment zone's a little bit narrower than it was before. There's almost no room to deploy models that won't be charged. So, you can't just take a Guard army of only shooting units, deploy on Dawn of War, go second against Raven Guard Space Marines, and expect to do okay. That's simply not going to happen. So what does this mean? Um, this means that if you're building a guard list, you really don't need that many guns with super long range anymore. Whereas it wasn't unusual to see a list with a Basilisk and a Wyvern and a couple Layman Russ with battle cannons. You don't really need that many range support options with super long range because if your opponent wants to play the mission, most of the important models are going to be in the center of the board anyway. So if you're an army like Tau, where you have a bunch of 36-inch range guns, this new edition is going to be super good for you. And if you're guard, I think anything in the 24- to 36-inch range, you should be paying attention to those weapons. So things like demolisher cannons, um, things like plasma cannons, um, those kinds of weapons are going to be super important in the new edition. On top of that... um, with the narrower deployment zones, and not knowing who goes first and second until a roll, that's another thing, um, you're going to get charged first turn by certain armies. So you're going to go second because you're alternating deployment, and then your opponent rolls, and of course they pick to go first with their Raven Guard army that appears with 1,000 points of melee assets in front of you turn one, and easily completes charges from 3 inches away with plus 2 inches to their charge roll, um, that's going to be a thing that happens. And uh, if you don't want to automatically lose during the list building phase, you need to plan for that. And it's not going to be sufficient to just take a bunch of guardsmen anymore um, because the deployment zones aren't deep enough for a good screen. So you're going to need units that, even if the enemy charges them, can shoot into melee, i.e. vehicles that shoot well into melee, or melee units of your own that can deploy behind other units. Um Because again, remember, um, in the new ninth edition charge rule, you have to be able to get into engagement range with every unit you declared a charge on. So if they can't actually reach the unit uh, during the charge, because there's other models in the way, they won't be able to swing blows into that unit. Which is fantastic, because it used to be that you could charge one unit, consolidate just over engagement range away from the next unit. And then swing twice at the end of the phase um, and pile into that unit and swing and that target unit never got to swing. Now, of course, some of the swing twice abilities, you had to be in engagement range of something, but you could be in engagement range of something basically irrelevant in melee and then pile into the melee specialists and wipe them off the board, whatever. I'm getting off topic here. So, again... We want lots of mid-range firepower. We need units that can go into the center of the board and take and hold objectives because we also score objectives at the start of our player turn, not at the end of our player turn. So we need really resilient units, um, probably lots of screens. um, Vehicles are way better. So all that said, let's actually get into a a list with Guard and get into some of the nitty-gritty I was thinking of. Before we do that, Nick, did you have any questions about
1: anything Brandon said? Because I pretty much agreed with everything that he said, and I think his premise is sound.
2: Um, Um, That was an excellent monologue of kind of the overall arching ideas of ninth edition and how guard needs to kind of fundamentally adapt to it. I do really like that he touched that you can't just run a gun line and try to be successful with it. I know a lot of players have been just like, here's my nine Lehman Russ, some Basil, and some Wyverns. I can shoot into combat. I'm a table you. That's just not going to work in ninth edition. Not only did Brandon say, accurately that most weapons in guard are blast weapons so you can't actually shoot into combat too effectively but you need to be proactively trying to achieve the mission just like you said and that requires a very combined arms approach so with all that said Brandon, why don't you introduce us to your army list
1: before that I just I just wanted to add one thing to your monologue and that is the turn is a 5 turn game so it's even more t- important to be aggressive on the scenario early because you don't have that sixth turn to sort of catch you back up so, like, the shortening of the game also contributes to the narrative that you put together, right? And you really only get four turns to score primaries because you can't score them on turn one. So,
3: It's it's huge. You only score primaries at the start of your command phase, which is the start of your turn. And you can't score them turn one. So you get four turns of scoring now. It's, it's really changed how aggressive you need to be. Um, unless you can fully table your opponent, in which case you win, per the new rules... Uh, You're going to lose if you hold back for a couple turns and your opponent gets a 30-point lead on you that you can't possibly make up.
2: Was that a rule? I actually didn't catch that. If you table your opponent, you just auto-win?
3: That was a thing I thought I'd read somewhere. It may very well exist. I'm not sure. Um, Regardless, um, to start with, um, the new Psychic Awakening book, this is another thing worth mentioning before we get into it. Um, was really helpful. So were the Vigilist formations. However, for competitive play and matched play, Vigilist formations are no longer viable. So we'll be focusing only on the abilities that you can get in the Codex and Psychic Awakening. If you want to play casually and you include your Vigilist formations, great. I'm not allowed to do that anymore if I'm playing in tournaments. So with that in mind, um, there's a lot of abilities that I think that Scions have that are super good um in the new meta um so for example um they have access to warlord traits and relics that are pretty nice um but also they have access to the only ability that guard have to have an extra warlord only if your warlord is also a tempester prime so or more accurately in a tempestus scions formation but you only get the good warlord traits if that warlord is a tempestor prime So it's going to be a Tempestor Prime, unless they make Commissars extremely good. But I doubt it. We haven't seen the new update for it. I'm just assuming Commissars are worthless, because the new morale update has pretty much made it so that I don't care about morale anymore, honestly. So um, I'll start with a Tempestor Prime Warlord. Great. Whatever detachment he is in is free. Um, I'm only going to put him in a patrol, though, because I don't think I actually need that many Scion infantry. Uh, I think I need maybe one or two squads. And the reason for that is um, if I'm doing the secondary where I have to score um, by performing an action in each of three deployment zones, I only need five Scions to show up once in the enemy deployment zone and perform their action, and I'm good. That one unit, they accomplish the mission. And elsewhere, an infantry squad can just move in advance, and at the end of the movement phase, they can perform their action in midfield, done. I don't actually need them to do anything beyond that so i think a small number of scions is super helpful but i don't need to spam them they're still very expensive per model so i agree
2: wholeheartedly. i actually just taught a class today on how to achieve the secondaries and do actions and whatnot and scions came in quite a lot as a cheap deep striking platform to do that kind of stuff for you
3: yep you don't Uh, have to spend any cp to put them in reserve um which is great um but again it, I, I feel that scions are totally optional. You can definitely not take them, but once you see what I'm doing with them, maybe you'll reconsider. So I'll take a patrol, um, just because I don't want to take that many of them. And the patrol has a Tempester Prime as my warlord, and the regiment is the Lambden Lions, which give them uh, an additional AP on all their weapons, which I think is super useful in the new edition. Um, so, I'll take the Tempestor Prime. He's my warlord, and his warlord trait is all tem- uh, Lambden Lions within six inches, reroll ones to hit. And I'll make sure my free relic is also the Lambden Lions relic of uh, Lambden Lions within six inches have a five plus invulnerable save. We'll come back to why that's important. Uh, for my mandatory troops choice, I'm taking five scions with two hotshot volley guns. And for an elite's choice, I'm taking a command squad with four hotshot volley guns. Remember, Landon Lions also have a stratagem from Psychic Awakening. For one command point, a Landon Lions unit will cause a mortal wound on an unmodified wound roll of six. And remember that Scions can also re-roll to wound with one of their orders against monsters and vehicles. So this squad has 16 opportunities on 3s re-rolling ones, to cause mortal wounds on a six to something. Um, not to be underestimated for that one command point to just plunk three to four mortals off of a target pretty handily. Um, And then finally, uh, I've also got three Torox Primes. They are dedicated transports, so I have to take three units, and I have. And each of them is armed with a Gatling cannon and two hotshot volley guns, and I threw a Storm Bolter on one of them because I had the points. So this detachment gives me um, some infantry that can just deep strike in and score actions if I need to, or murder things, um, because hotshot volley guns are insane. Um, and we have the Torox Primes. So the Torox Primes move 14 inches, do not take a penalty to hit for moving, hit on threes uh, if they're near the Tempestor Prime, and he is giving the character rule as long as he's within three inches of one of them, um, so he can't be shot, uh, re- reroll ones to hit. Also, five plus invulnerable save if he's near them and they get 20 Strength 4 AP1 shots at 24 inches, and they get eight Strength 4 AP3 shots at 24 inches as well. So that is a lot of AP1 and 3 firepower that'll just remove anything that doesn't like Strength 4, which is anything up to Toughness 7, because you'll still wound on fives in my book. So that is absolutely terrifying for clearing the midfield of units that are trying to score objectives in my book the other thing is that these vehicles actually do fire into melee reasonably well against infantry equivalents uh, including space marines even so i think that they're a great secondary line because if your opponent tries to tie them up with something and fails to murder them um ooh, they're not going to like the return fire even with the minus one to hit uh next Um, I've got a battalion, and it's going to cost me three command points to take it. And I think that for this edition, uh, spotters, the custom regiment with plus six-inch range to your heavy weapons with 24 inches or more range is enormously helpful. Alternatively, you can also take Vostroians because they get six inches to their rapid-fire and heavy weapons with 24 inches or more range. Um, And they don't get the other benefit I'm taking, which is gunnery experts for rerolling the number of shots on a blast weapon every time you fire it. But they do have the stratagem to spend one command point to make a unit plus one to hit, which I think is really cool. So I think in a different list, if I'd started with more command points and didn't want to spend the command points on other abilities, I think Vestroyans are actually really strong in this edition because the extra range to take 24-inch range weapons to 30-inch range weapons I think is going to be huge with the smaller maps and more uh, units in midfield. So with that said... Uh, I started my battalion with three Tank Commanders, all identically armed with Demolisher Cannons and LAS Cannons. Um, I didn't put Plasma Cannon Sponsors on them because the new 9th edition rules made Plasma Cannons 20 points. So it's 40 points more for each uh, Tank Commander to have one. Um, That just feels like a lot compared to 20 points for a Demolisher Cannon. Thank you very much. Um, So I just stuck with Demolisher Cannons on these bad boys um next i took five infantry squads uh i took two platoon commanders because i ran out of hq slots so if i want orders for those infantry squads i have to take platoon commanders instead Uh, and then i took nine bulgrins five of them with slab shields four of them with brute shields so five two plus armor saves four four plus invulnerable saves all with uh bulgrin mauls so they actually hit reasonably well in melee not terribly uh i also took a priest to give all the Bulgrins and infantry squads plus one attack, uh, and an Astropath with Psychic Barrier to provide the Bulgrins with plus one to their saving throw, and I also took a Manticore and gave it the Tank Ace of full payload, which allows it to, instead of roll a D3 for damage, flat three for damage. And I think Manticores are really going to shine in this new addition for a couple reasons. One, they're only able to shoot four times but the game lasts one turn less. So it's not really a big deal to only miss one turn instead of two. Uh, And they can move 12 inches and then use their um, CP ability, if they have line of sight to the target, to um, get plus one to hit. And the thing that was suggested to me uh, before I realized that I should do that is... um, If you give a hunter-killer missile to a manticore that has full payload, the hunter-killer missile will do flat-six damage. So I think I should probably drop a couple hotshot volley guns on my five-man science squad and get this uh, hunter-killer missile going on the manticore because that just sounds ridiculous to me.
1: Just a flat-six damage weapon? Just just flat-six? That's it?
3: The psychic awakening rules, um, I can look it up, but I think the wording on it is um yeah here we go i can pull up the tank ace rules right now if it'll load but it's basically instead of rolling damage for its weapons it does the maximum
2: that's a, a world's best hunter killer right there
3: <laughs> right i'm going to come back to that but did you guys have first of all any um, initial thoughts on the list like yeah in so... summary we've got three tank commanders with demolisher cannons last cannons Three Torox Primes, um, a Manticore, nine Bullgrins, five Infantry, a handful of Scions, and then some supporting characters.
2: Yeah, I actually have a few things I want to just ask. You actually have gone down Infantry, I know, towards the end of 8th edition. You're running like, I know, 80, 90, something like that. And that, to me, they've only gotten more useful being able to hold objectives uh, or contest your opponent's objectives, rather, with move, move, move keep him from raising any banners, keep his primary low just by, it doesn't matter what happens to them, but move move 10 guardsmen onto his objective. He's only on one or two now. He's scoring not 15 points, and you're not really sacrificing much to keep his score lower. Why are you, are you satisfied with only five units of guardsmen, or do you think you would like more?
3: So that's an excellent question, because I love guardsmen, but there's a couple reasons that um, I didn't go for more of them one of the reasons is that um sorry i got full payload do not roll it to determine damage characteristic of weapons this model is equipped with they have their maximum values so yeah if you put a hunter killer missile on a full payload tank ace it's flat six that's sick um taking all my miracle day shenanigans away and right i'm in the guard so you're absolutely right guardsmen can run forward and obstruct objectives all day but they have some serious problems in my opinion One of those problems is there's a few secondaries that reward you consistently getting more kills than your opponent every turn of the game. Um, And I feel like if I'm taking 90 Guardsmen, I'm very easily giving my opponent those points. Because another thing I failed to mention about 9th edition is the changes to Line of Sight. Unless tournament organizers go ahead and board up all the windows in their ruins they're using, it's going to be a lot easier to see into ruins. So you can hide turn one and be out of line of sight. But once you start moving on to objectives, you're going to be in line of sight. And especially at five points a model, guardsmen just are not very resilient. So yes, they're cheap. But if you want to be able to commit them to objectives, I think that if you actually want to keep a reasonable number of them alive, you need transports that they can dive into. Um, So you can take Valkyries, you can take Camaras, um heaven help you if you take regular toroxes i think they're going to be stupidly overpriced because of how expensive they made autocannons but i think a 90 something point chimera with either double heavy flamers or heavy flamer multi laser for cheap is the way to go um because you can actually run those forward and with smoke launchers keep it alive at least through a turn when it's exposed then have the guardsmen get out and go take objectives. And in fact, you can have the Guardsmen disembark from the Camara and another squad move in advance and re-embark in the same Camara. So you kind of use it as a midfield checkpoint. But all that said, I think that's actually a lot of points to invest in that. And instead, I think that I'd like to try using the Bulgrins to take and hold the center of the board. Because again, it's really cool to deny your opponent with an infantry squad, an objective as a throwaway. But I don't think it's worth the points cost now. Like 50 points to take away an objective, possibly, but also an order that you have to use. Because remember, I have a limited number of HQ slots for company commanders. I had to take platoon commanders. So it's 25 points in order instead of 30 points in 8th edition. That's huge. So it just feels really expensive to take objectives away by throwing bodies onto them. I see it as more useful for infantry squads to zone enemies out of your deployment zone so remember when i said it's really cool that you can throw five scions with no weapons into your opponent's deployment zone and perform an action and get points from that well your opponent can do that too but if you have all these 10-man guard squads just filling your deployment zone out of line of sight then they can't and if you have enough guardsmen and you're not relying on them to take and hold midfield objectives which good god 10 Guardsmen aren't going to be able to hold anything when you have to score it at the start of your turn. That's where I was going with that. You have to be way more defensive with the infantry squads rather than throwing them forward to clog up the enemy objectives because objectives are scored at the start of your player turn. Um, Like Even in the past, like Imperial Knights couldn't move through Guardsmen. Now they're making it so that, well, they can move through screening units. So you can still sort of block them, but not really. so that's that's why i was going in that direction i'm using this as an experiment to say what if i'm not using infantry squads to take and hold objectives what if i'm relying on bulgrins and uh torox primes so instead of i'm just going to throw infantry at you and take your objectives away i'm just saying i'm going to remove all your infantry and then my infantry are going to move forward and take objectives because torox primes with Lambed and Lyons buffs, I think are just going to clear screens no problem. And I think that with this new addition, uh, rewarding you for taking multiple small units and rewarding you for taking fewer detachments, I don't think we're going to see too much spam on the, the more than 100 models kind of lists anymore. Like, if you want to take huge squads of boys um, and run up the board with them, you still can. It's just not nearly as good. Um, cause all my blast weapons that guard have, it's like, oh, you have more than 10 models. Okay. So I just hit six times with all of these attacks. I'm just going to pick up your hordes and reduce them down. And then the Torox primes will pick up the spare very efficiently.
2: Yeah. I think that definitely makes a lot of sense. It definitely using the guardsmen really aggressively sounds like it's a good idea. Uh, I know a lot of top players, myself included, kind of thought that would be the way the guard army needs to adapt to ninth edition. They would do it very well. But it's like you said, you do give up the secondaries for Kilmore, which you have a lot of guards when your opponent can realistically take that against you. It is hard to hide. They have lost value in the move blocking aspect of like Imperial Lights and stuff. And they got more expensive. So all in all, I do like the more proactive approach of I'm not going to worry about just throwing away my points to try to deny my opponent's uh, victory points. I'm going to use my army to just kind of win the game. Kill you and then worry about objectives as it comes.
3: Yeah, I'm trying to build an army that pushes you out of the midfield and forces you to take cover from it. And if you come towards it, it hits you even harder.
2: Yeah. And can I say, I just love the use of the Torox Prime. Such an underutilized unit that really saw no love in 8th edition aside from the very beginning in the index phase. So very exciting.
3: Yeah, I still have my Torox Primes from the beginning of 8th, so I'm excited to try them out. and I think with a little bit of tweaking, like throw that hunter-killer missile in the Manticore. Please, just do it. Um, because a six-damage hunter-killer missile for five points is a yes, please, thank you. Yeah, how do I get more of those, right? <laughs> that's that's, that's the me question. Keep
2: my interrogation and just go through your army a little step by step. You have a pretty self-sufficient scion detachment. Like you said, you have the hot shot volley gun trick, which I absolutely love. The rocks, primes that do so much damage. And then, of course, the requisite, five silence you have to take to make this legal. Have you considered taking more units of silence, just five dudes, no special weapons, that kind of thing, or maybe two hotshot volley guns, whatever it might be, just to get more units deep striking to unlock line breaker or a new version of recon, whatever it's called, those kinds of secondaries?
3: Sure, but everything has a price. Um, Everything in the list, I like taking lots of. You'll notice this is a theme. So yeah, you're limited to taking three of a kind, but there's several units that I took three of a kind or more. So, for example, I took five infantry squads, but they're a troop choice. You're allowed to do that. But I took three tank commanders. And it's because, unfortunately, um, Lehman Russ battle tanks were in a pretty good position at the end of eighth because they'd been reduced in cost to like 135 points for a basic one. Now they're 165 points for the same model, which is insane. That's a huge, more than 20% increase in cost. For the same model which when some of these models like bulgrin's went up like a couple of points it, it's really kind of sad to see how far regular layman russ have fallen so if you want really just solid fire support you you can't really rely on Leman russ battle tanks anymore i don't think i mean you can use Leman russ battle tanks as just a hull that gets in the way and maybe make a t8 spam army with them but they're not there for damage anymore they're just too expensive for damage output so yeah three tank commanders and then it starts flowing logically from there if i take a tank commander away that's one fewer tank commander that you ever have to deal with during the game and um there's this concept and i don't know in, in real combat where if you're going to bring something, you better bring a lot of it. Because if you think about it, let's say I have an anti-tank gun in my opponent's army that counters my tanks. If I have one tank, the anti-tank gun shoots it and destroys it before it has a chance to do anything. If I have two tanks, the anti-tank gun takes out one of my tanks, and the other tank has a chance to find it, but most likely the anti-tank gun's still going to win, two for, two for nothing. But if I bring three tanks... The anti-tank gun removes one of them. The other two tanks now have twice as good of a chance of finding it before the second tank is taken out. And the third tank might just find it before it is destroyed and take the position. So if I just scatter one of every unit type in the list, my opponent's going to look at it and say, oh, against my army, that's the unit I like the least. And they remove that unit. And you're like, oh, Um Well, I needed that against you, but you removed it because you didn't like it, and now I don't have the fire support I need. So I think it's better to build a list where you take lots of the same thing um, just so that your opponent doesn't have good options. It's like, oh, shoot, those tank commanders are terrifying. I'm going to take them out, and they take one out. and You're like, great, I still have two of them, and they're going to shoot you now, so at least they still get a chance to participate you make it harder for your opponent to remove the important models in your list before they have a chance to participate by bringing more of them. So yeah, I could add more Scions, but if I think that one squad of Scions staying in reserve until turn five and then showing up and performing an action and getting me four secondary points is worth it, why do I need the, the next one if that's really all that I'm bringing them for? Like The, the extra marginal utility from that really isn't helping me.
2: I was just thinking to potentially get you Linebreaker, which requires two units in your opponent's deployment zone uh to score. You can put two scion squads really far out of the way, be forgotten about, and just four points, four points, four points, four points for the turns two through five. Alternatively, recon, you could throw one squad out there into your opponent's zone on its own. Yeah. Just now guys, that in order to get
3: max points for recon, you have to hold every table quarter for every turn. Uh, that's that's tough, man.
2: It is tough. It also potentially opens up deploy scramblers. I mean, I wasn't suggesting you need to cut a Lehman Rust Demolisher Tank Commander for 10 Scions, but maybe something like you could cut one infantry unit and replace it with one deep-striking Scion squad. It's five fewer bodies, five bodies at deep-strike. You certainly can. Cost.
3: And I think that's a totally legitimate option because it's almost the same cost, and in fact, it's five points cheaper if you don't have any weapons.
2: Okay, I was just curious what your thoughts on the subject were, but I'm glad we got to the crux of why we're taking three of all the vehicles. That makes
1: can, a lot of sense. Can we talk about the uh, the tank commanders? I have some questions about the demolisher cannons. Obviously, um, you're getting plus six inches of range, right, from your uh, custom, I forget what they call it, custom, it's a chapter tactic, but I don't it's know what It's a they regiment. Call it. or, yeah, regimental, whatever. Doctrine. Um, doctrines, regimental doctrine. Okay, I've I've been educated. Thank you, Brandon. Um, <clears throat> what is the profile of the demolisher cannon, and
3: what what is its purpose? Um, so a Demolisher Cannon is the weapon you bring when you're not sure what you're going to face, but you want to make sure it's dead. Um, So the Lehman Russ shoots its turret weapon twice as long as it moves half speed or less of whatever its remaining move is, so typically five inches or less. And uh, that means that the Demolisher Cannon shoots 2d6 times. And as a blast weapon, if you're shooting a unit of six or more models, that means minimum three per minimum three each time you shoot it because it's two separate shooting attacks at the same target It's for a minimum of six shots, which is nice for rounding it out. And on top of that, um, if you're targeting 11 or more models, it just shoots 12 times. Enjoy. Um, But the profile is strength 10 AP minus three D six damage. And I don't really care what you're shooting at. There's almost nothing in the game that's going to enjoy being hit by a demolisher cannon. Um, because of the high damage per hit, the high AP, and the high strength. I don't care if you're T9, I wound you on threes. I don't care if you're T5, I wound you on twos. I don't care if you have a two-up armor save, you have a five up save. Good luck. So Demolisher Cannons yeah, also- are just brutal d6 damage is nothing to sneeze at right no like it averages 3.5 that's a lot of damage so against five or fewer models uh you're averaging about um eight i'll just round eight shots on average because you're re-rolling if you don't like either of the dice uh that's the gunnery experts other regimental doctrine um and on top of that uh, if you're targeting an enemy vehicle you can spend two command points to take hail fire and just shoot 12 times with your Demolisher Cannon. So for two command points, you can turn a Tank Commander into a get-rid-of-that model. And best of all, if you're facing Chaos, you can spend an extra Command Eye and re-roll hits and wounds. So is that a Chaos Knight? No, it's not. It's gone.
2: I've been on the receiving end of that way too many times. I'm so sick of that strategy.
3: Oh, yeah. with Is that is that Vengeance for Cadia? Is that the strategy? Vengeance for Cadia, Yes.
2: Yeah. And be used by non-Cadians.
3: Or if you're Vastroian and you took the other regiment that I was recommending, you have your tank commander shoot 12 demolisher cannon shots into last cannon, hitting on twos, you're rolling ones.
2: Yeah, that's very strong. I've also been on the receiving end of a Vastroian. Uh, it's kind of obsolete now, but Vestroian battle tank with old hammer sundrins from Vigilus. Oh, yeah. So that was brutal.
3: Especially if you give it the tank ace of plus one AP yeah so you have your tank ace abilities so you have an ap th- additional ap to the turret weapon that's the thing you could do for layman russ um because the Vigilist thing is gone and because i'm taking three tank uh commanders I'm, i don't really feel like making one of them different because uh, that's just the one that's going to die first
1: okay brandon i'm starting to see the genius in your list right and you tell me if i'm way off base but You've got these three tank commanders. You've got the Torox Primes. And it's between the two of them, they've got very different weapon profiles, but they, they kind of do the same thing. And that mid-range, in that 24 to 30-inch range, um, or b- lower, right, but basically covering the middle of the board, you put out an amazing amount of firepower, and then you have these Bulgrins that are moving on to objectives. And so you're kind of giving your opponent a choice. You're like, well, I know you really want to reduce my firepower. Here's six vehicles. These have a five-up minbowl. These are toughness eight that you need to deal with. Otherwise, I'm just going to shoot you all off all of your objectives. Um, And by the way, I've got this other tough nut that I'm moving on to objectives so that I'm scoring heavy on primary. There's your your choice, right? Is that kind of the design?
3: Yes, and it's like peeling an onion. So if you have deep striking melee reserves and I deploy correctly, the only units you're going to be able to uh, target turn one are infantry squads. And if you lack anti-infantry, maybe that's how it is on turn two so it might take until th- turn three or longer before you can actually declare a charge on something important um and even then the torox primes overwatch is no joke if they're near the the scion um tempester prime they reroll ones to hit so they're if i overwatch for one cp they're hitting on sixes, to rolling ones but guard can also spend another cp so they hit on fives so you have um 28 strength four shots at ap one or three hitting on fives, rolling ones in Overwatch. So if you're just trying to charge me with a uh, shield captain, you might not like the result. There's a good chance that he takes quite a few wounds on the way in. Um, just saying. Um, but honestly, that's it, it's supposed to be like peeling an onion. So you have the Guardsmen, you have the Bulgrins, you have the Torox Primes, all being these midfield blockers. And then in the very back, you have the Tank Commanders and the Mana Corps just going to town on your list with extraordinarily high damage firepower that you can only respond to, at least in the early game, preferably with shooting. And both of those units are actually reasonably well-costed and statted for dealing with enemy shooting. Their weakness is, if you touch them, they stop participating so that's the guard list in a nutshell it's this combined arms approach any one of the units would be super weak on its own but you put this list together and it's a threat overload you have to peel this onion before you start really causing significant damage to it and if you don't have enough survivability in the first two turns the list does enough damage to you that you can't recover and then you start getting to a point where you could have dealt damage to important units but you don't have anything left
2: Yeah, I actually have just been kind of in the background thinking about how my armies I've been working on for a ninth edition uh, would match up into yours. And honestly, I think it just kind of feels like you just overwhelm me with the value of all your units put together, whereas my army is not trying to do that. So I could definitely see what you're going for, where the, the threat overload, the supremacy on the board control and firepower and just deal with all this in your face at once while being quite defensive also is really strong.
3: That's One more the strength of the guard about, list uh, if you're doing it right. You're overwhelming firepower, it feels hopeless for your opponent, except that they have to get through your screens in time. So it's almost this like inverted um, strategy where in the beginning they have to get rid of your screens, but then at the end they have to get rid of the meat of your list. So it's two different uh, types of damage output that are necessary. Right. And it's
2: one of those things, you can kill the parts that can kill your Lehman Russes, so by the time they kind of unlock all your screens to start tagging Lehman Russes and dealing with them, you're they're out of stuff to actually kill you. That's the plan. So the other question I had was, guard have a vast array of indirect fire options. You've gone for just one mana core with a payload. Very strong classic choice. Uh, why not any bassless? Why not multiple things? Why not any and Stuff like that.
3: So classically, Um, Basilisks and uh, Lehman Russ battle tanks have been costed pretty similarly. And you're like, well, the Basilisk has a better gun. And sure, it's on a weaker platform, but it has the same ballistic skill. Well, the thing is, the Lehman Russ shoots twice. So it has a weaker gun and costs more, but it shoots twice. So in a direct engagement, the Basilisk is always inferior to the Lehman Russ, as long as they're both in range and so on and so on. So... The guard list has been designed correctly, in my opinion, where you pay more points to get the option to fire indirectly. And if you tried to take a list with guard that was purely indirect fire, um, people would kind of laugh at you. Like, okay, that was a gentle breeze of a shooting phase. Now it's my turn. Because the efficiency of your firepower is never going to be there. Like, uh, A Layman Rust tank commander is about 200 points. Um, a Basilisk is, what, 135 now? No, 125. So a Basilisk is approximately half the cost, but shoots half as much at BS4. And then the Tank Commander has a Demolisher Cannon, which does D6 damage while the Basilisk does D3. And then the Tank Commander is T8 while the Basilisk is T6. You start doing a direct comparison, you're like, wow, Tank commanders are way better than basilisks um, in terms of the amount of firepower that they put out per, per point. And if that's really all you want, why do I need indirect fire? So the reason you take indirect fire is, one, um, to pick up the spare on something important. So let's say your opponent's demon prince goes out in the open. You've cleared all the screen away with your torox uh, primes, and he makes a few lucky and vulnerable saves and is living with like two wounds left. But nothing else in your army can see the Demon Prince. Oh, shoot. He's just going to be able to charge in and eat you now. Well, no. I've got this indirect fire vehicle in the back with range to the table. And I'll shoot him at that dangerous model and pick up the spare. I just need one failed save and that model will go away. That's what you bring indirect fire for. So just one is enormous utility for when everything else in your list has finished shooting and there's one or two wounds left on something important the indirect fire picks up the spare the indirect fire picks up the spare every turn it just picks up the spare it's not there to do enormous damage per turn it's there to do damage efficiently where it's needed on demand that's it so once you start taking more than one um the efficiency really goes down. So really, you take more than one if you expect your opponent to start targeting your indirect fire because they're afraid of it and they want to get rid of it, and you want more than one so that if they take one out, you still have good options. But in this case, with the new updates to terrain rules, I feel pretty confident that I can hide one manticore for the whole game. Um, And it has range of 120 inches. It doesn't need line of sight if I don't want it to have any. So... That and the threat overload nature, it's like, why are you shooting the Manticore? There's Demolisher Cannon Tank Commanders shooting you right over there. Like, what's wrong with you? So I don't feel bad about putting a Tank Ace on the Manticore to make it better. Um, because if you're shooting the Manticore, that's the wrong decision. You're, you're definitely not shooting what you need to be. Those Demolisher Tank Commanders are so scary. Um, so that's why I invest in one, just one. Uh, the utility is good enough to have one where it's like oh no i need line of sight to that one thing because my demolisher tank commander i expected to kill it didn't and i have nothing else in range but after that it's just less efficient
2: it's just to have the tools all it is it was not like a focal point of your army and that's a that's a totally valid answer i like it
3: so um
1: i also like that it's sort of pseudo hammer of sundrance you know because you're just like
3: uh, I, killer. <laughs> no, it is two hammer asunderance because it's flat three damage and instead of strength eight, it's strength ten. Yeah. Hammers. It's sunders. But so, the disadvantage, of course, it's only hitting on fours instead of threes, unless I spend a command point and it zooms out into the open and shoots you directly. Overall, like are there
2: secondaries that you generally go to for this style of list? Or are there deployments that you prefer? <laughs> I know we've only had the missions for so long, but uh if any games you played or any theorizing you've done, is there things that you kind of think are go tos or potential pitfalls for this type of list?
3: I think the potential pitfalls are, um, first of all, it doesn't give up very much in terms of the secondaries because, uh, the Toroxes are, if they take the kill vehicle secondary, the Toroxes put together are worth six and all the Laman Rust put together are worth nine. So unless they table you, um, they're going to have trouble maxing that secondary out. And I think it's totally reasonable for them to take it. But also if you're having a good game, I don't expect them to actually achieve it.
2: Yeah. One of the ones where you'll get like nine, maybe 12 points out of it, but getting 15 there is hard. And it's totally Always reasonable. Good.
3: It and, is. Reasonable. Nine, but, nine to
2: 12 points is a perfectly valid score for a secondary these days. But, but um,
3: you're also getting a huge advantage for taking that many vehicles, which I think is still worth it. Because again, Everything counts in large amounts. If you're only yeah, going to take one you. thing, your opponent can just get rid of it immediately and not have to worry about it. Right. If you design a list
2: that denies all the secondaries that are already very hard for your opponent to achieve at the cost of it functioning, your opponent's in a better spot.
3: Yeah, they're going to win the primary. Right. Um, what else
2: do you try to go for for your list if someone was to try to pick it up and play a guard army like
3: this? So. It's not meant to go for the psychic secondary because astropaths are super squishy and the astropath has a really important job. Um, I'd definitely be interested in the deploy scramblers secondary when you have the option of putting the scions in the enemy deployment zone to pick up those points. Um, That's only one where you can
2: only get 10 points out of it, but it's a pretty not difficult to get 10 points.
3: Yeah, and it's actually really hard to max out those secondaries again. So... I think it's totally reasonable to take that with this list, depending on what your opponent's playing. If your opponent would struggle to zone you out of their deployment zone, I think deploy scramblers is a good choice, honestly. Um, Then depending on your opponent's list, of course, you want to look at if you can kill units of theirs to get a lot of points. And if so, go for it. Otherwise, um, I think raise the banners is totally reasonable. Um, Infantry squads...
1: I feel like Raise the Banners is sort of the default. If you don't know what to take, that's the one you take. Well, right? If you're looking at your opponent's list, and you're kind of like, well, I can probably get nine out of Raise the
3: Banners. Yeah, but look at infantry squads. Their guns into Primaris Intercessors are just sad. So sad. That's <laughs> um, true. So when I see that, I'm like, okay, well, you're really not participating in this game anyway. Go raise a flag on the objective. Now you're helping out. And, yeah, and that, that's
2: more intuitive with the style you're doing anyway, where you're slowly taking the board from your opponent, as opposed to suiciding guard squads up the table to contest the objectives, which is a way you could run guard. Uh, yep. But doing that means you're advancing, you're using move and move, and you can't raise banners while you advance. So it's kind of counterintuitive to that part of the strategy too as well.
3: Yeah, it totally depends on the terrain and the mission, but I think that's one of the secondaries that everyone should really be looking at if they expect to take over the midfield. Definitely, completely agree. Otherwise, I'm still getting used to all this stuff. Like, there's a few of them that seem like sometimes you can totally get it, sometimes you can't. Um, like, I really like the one that promotes killing uh, super heavies. Like, if you just kill two Titanic units, you get max points. I think that's super good if you're playing yeah, knights. When uh, you play
2: against knights or Magnus and Morty. That's such an auto take kind of secondary.
3: But, uh. Yeah, your opponent has to actually bother to take those units, and sometimes they won't. I do think you have a lot of avenues to play the Attrition
1: Secondary, which is one of the easiest ones to max in certain matchups, right? Like, if you have the advantage in killing, because you get four four per per turn that you get it, and your list is designed in such a way that you probably can get it three turns pretty easily, I would say, because uh, a lot of your stuff is really hard to kill, actually um barring the guard units right uh and if you get it four turns you max it so that's a 12 or a 15 against a lot of armies i think you can reasonably expect to do do that one what do you think brandon
3: i think 12 or 13 is a super reasonable number of points um because most of these objectives you're not really expecting to get 15 unless you're tabling your opponent most of the time you're not going to get 15 points yeah it's a win more situation right you're already yeah. winning so and again i I think winning the battlefield in the middle um is super good and playing to table your opponent is totally fine but you don't want to get into that point where yay i tabled my opponent on turn four except for those five infantry models which are just going to hide in the corner the rest of the game crap i didn't table him
1: and then i lost the game because he scored 40 on, on primary, and I scored 10. I'm sorry. You
3: know? That's how I literally won the LVO, is with an infantry squad and some characters left on the table. Yeah. So, I know that, that that can win games. You can come from behind on some missions where your army is just getting battered, but you're scoring objectives most of the game, and then your opponent can't catch up. There's not enough time. And that was in a six-turn game. Now we're only in five.
2: Yeah. That's how the pros do it. Get to win anyways.
1: Let me, uh, I have one more question, but before we do, let's take a quick break from a word from our sponsors.
0: This episode is brought to you by HP Instant Ink. No one is reading your mind, but HP Instant Inc. knows when your printer is running low and sends you new cartridges, so you never have to think about ink. Save up to 50%. You'll pay less than $5 a month for ink and never run out again. Find out if your printer is eligible and enroll today at hpinstantink.com. Conditions apply. For details,
2: visit hp.com slash instantinkspotify.
1: Okay, Brandon, uh, one of the last questions I have for you is you, you talked a little bit about your warlord traits and your relics. Can you kind of go through that again just as a summary? For our listeners, because now now in the new mission pack you have to declare all of that at list construction, right? So correct. And
3: that's huge. I didn't mention that. Yeah. So because you aren't able to change your warlord trait between games, there's certain warlord traits that were super nice to have and super tank certain take aces that were super nice to have in certain situations that you're just never gonna see now. Um so for example, uh the tank ace of plus one armor save. Um most of the time it's good, but like half the time, well, okay, uh, a huge percentage of the time is useful, but half the time it's probably not. Like your opponent's like, cool, I have only melted guns. And you're like, well, okay, then I guess I'll die. Um, so that's why the Warlord Traits and Relics that you pick are super important. They have to be useful in every game or universally applicable, I think. So for example, I could have taken Warlord Trait of Old Grudges. I think that's super good with strength four guns because up to t7 you wound on fives and old grudges is pick a target re-roll the wound against it if you're near the warlord that's huge so if you have an imperial knight for example those bulgrins with strength seven weapons can walk up to it wounded on fives re-rollable and actually participate in the game instead of bouncing off the knight armor but if your opponent doesn't have the one big stompy model that you really care about, then um, Old grudges doesn't do much. At least with Reroll Ones, I can make the Torox Primes that much more terrifying for my opponent to deal with every game against every army. And um, I know it'll be at least somewhat useful. Um, again, that's the lambden Lions loreward trait only, and it only affects Lambden Lions. And then the Relic, a 5++ invulnerable save Guard don't get invul saves, okay? Like, that's not a thing guard get most of the time on their vehicles. So the opportunity to take Torox Primes and make them so terrifyingly shooty and then give them a 5-up and vulnerable save so that opponent meltaguns Guns can sometimes bounce off of it, oh man, that's just juicy. Because um, I know that with 24-inch range, your opponent is also going to have range to them with stuff most of the time. So making them that much more resilient is super nice. Uh, and again, it's almost always useful um, because the Tempester Prime, for example, doesn't have an invul save. Now he does. And the Scions don't have invul saves. Now they do if they're near the Tempester Prime. So um, yeah, I, I just think I'm trying to look for universally applicable Warlord Traits and Relics. There's a few others that you can certainly take. So for example, um, if you're taking special weapons, I think that a super cool idea is to take the Dagger of 2 relic, put that on a platoon commander uh, or a company commander, preferably, and then spend one command point to outflank three or four um, special weapon squads because they're only two power level with Melta or Plasma, your choice, because now it's uh, 10 points per model armed with a special weapon that's Melta or Plasma, which is super cheap. You would have paid more for that in 8th edition. And then outflank them. Super good. So... I think that's a really cool idea, but I didn't end up going for it because it tends to be a one-use only unless you're taking a lot of it, and then if your opponent's smart, they might counter it. I don't know. I don't know what the magic number is, so I went with what I knew. But as a runner-up ability, totally cool to be able to take that relic. Um, As for um, tank ace runner-up, I think that the Layman Russ tank ace of reduce incoming damage by one would be super good. So, for example, if my list only had two tank commanders, I think it's super viable to just take two tank commanders with both the same tank ace of reduce incoming damage by one because you have that uniformity. Your opponent can't just pick on the one that takes normal damage first unless, for example, that third tank commander has a battle cannon and just stays in the back somewhere. Um, But yeah, there's still some useful abilities out there that you can certainly take. And some other runner-up abilities um, besides... The Lambda Lions Warlord trait, the Lambda Lions Relic, um, the full payload tank ace for the Mana Core, um, Sentinels. I didn't end up taking Sentinels or Hellhounds. The Torox Primes are performing the role of both of those units. But I think Sentinels, Armored Sentinels in particular, with either multi lasers or heavy flamers, are going to be super good in this new meta because, first of all, they're 30 points base still. They got a huge, huge points adjustment i think for ninth edition that makes them super good 35 points for an armored sentinel is disgusting um if you look at the stats on them what their t5 six wounds three up armor um for 35 points are you kidding me and then um turn one if you actually gave them reasonable weapons like let's say las cannons and hunter killer missiles you can spend a command point to let them hit on twos on the first game turn as they unleash all their d6 damage weapons and then um, once they're on an objective then well you can also use the go recon strat. So they just move an extra nine inches to go to an objective which is fantastic but once they're on the objective there's a one cp strat for a squadron of sentinels to reduce all incoming damage by one for that shooting phase which is really good if your opponent's trying to shoot you off an objective and you're holding it with sentinels i think that's a cool runner-up ability but I don't know. I think there's enough in the game that for example, the amount of damage those Sentinels do? Not very much, actually. So if I have an infantry squad and I just throw it on the objective that the Sentinels are holding, the Sentinels are actually going to struggle to remove that infantry squad which is pathetic. So that's kind of why I'm a little reluctant to throw Sentinels up there. And again Hellhounds, super good for holding the midfield as well because you auto-hit so if enemies charge you, you just overwatch them for a CP and it's your shooting phase. Especially now that heavy flamers are the same cost as heavy bolters. Just take the whole heavy heavy flamer at that point point. and if they do get into melee with them, whatever. You explode on a 4 plus for mortal wounds and you auto hit them in melee if you're locked in with them anyway. I think hellhounds are super cool. I think you can totally make a list with them. I just went with Torox Primes for this list.
1: So it sounds like, and I think this is one of the best parts about 9th edition, right? The whole world is open for exploration. And there's a lot of things you can try and then see what sticks, right? Find out what works, what meshes with your strategy, what meshes with your playstyle, and what meshes with what the rest of the meta is doing, which none of us knows right now. We're all taking educated guesses, but that's the best we can do. Right. So.
2: Right. Definitely. Also, uh, I was going through the rules, like trying to find that tabling thing uh, of the GT packet, step 15, ending the battle battle ends after five battle rounds after having completed if one player has no models remaining in their army at the start of their turn the other player may continue to play other turns until the battle ends. so Perfect. it doesn't
3: seem you auto win for tabling um
2: uh, just want to get that clarified for all the viewers Not trying thank to
3: you anybody. i thought i read that but clearly i did not it's you just continue to play once your opponent's out of models at which point you just get as many points as it's possible for you to get yeah that makes that makes total sense
1: Okay, I think we're getting pretty close to getting ready to move to episode two, where I'm really interested to talk about matchups. Nick, did you want to ask any final questions about the overall strategy of his list?
2: No, I think I'm pretty good on that we've Brandon has done a great job kind of articulating all of his choices and the things he's foregone as well, along with his thoughts on ninth edition. So thank you so much for coming on, Brandon.
3: Thank you for having me on, and I hope that this gets the gears turning on people thinking about what guard can do because I get the sense that they're going to be kind of middle of the road in power level, but I think that the potential is there to get some really terrifying lists on the table.
1: What what I just would like to say really really quickly before I move into closing this out. I really appreciate how your list is designed from soup to nuts with the end goal in mind with every piece playing a role towards winning the mission. And it just shows you like how much you have control over your list design in making things easier on the table for you, right? So um it's a very, very well thought out list. And I think my favorite thing about this this episode is Nick and I could have not asked a question
2: and it would have been a great episode. What do you think, Nick? Yeah, definitely. Brennan uh, stole the show with this one, as he should. Uh, you caught and... me monologuing. <laughs> thanks so much for that we're here we're here to hear your opinion on guard you know you're the expert in the subject matter so thanks so much for being an awesome guest
3: yeah thanks for having me and i hope this helps people out and then the thing i can mention at the end of the episode if you want to learn more about guard with me uh send me a message on facebook i have a private guard facebook chat and uh you can post list ideas and i might get to see them and comment on them so just send me a message
1: awesome brandon very generous with his time. He's helped me with a few things in the past, so don't be shy, reach out to him, he'll definitely talk to you. Okay. Well, that is episode 1 where we talk about the overall strategy of a list and for those of you who are new to the art of war, we always do that. We we really go completely about uh, the macro thoughts about a list, you know, what's in the list, why is it in there, and then how do you use it, right? And then episode 2 is where we dive into the nitty-gritty details of optimal play with the list, where we'll talk about individual matchups, individual scenarios and situations, and how to best tactically apply the list. So, those of you who are patrons, please come over and join us. We'll we'll definitely have that conversation. And if you haven't signed up for our Patreon, it is one of the best values in competitive play. It's only six dollars a month. And we talked to players of Brandon's caliber. Last week we had Richard Siegler on who broke down tau in a very similar fashion to how Brandon is breaking down. Uh, Astra Militarum, or as I like to call them, Imperial Guard. Um, And before I go, I would be remiss. I promised you guys all a code word to enter for the contest. If you enter the word tactics, T-A-C-T-I-C-S, in the contest at 40kprizes.com, you will get five entries in our contest to win that massive prize pool. I think it's like close to $2,500 for the first place winner. That includes a $1,500 shopping spree, for, for GW products. So um, I, I can't say enough how great that's going to be. Okay. Patrons, we'll see you over on episode two. For everybody else, we hope you guys have the best of luck moving into ninth edition, and we hope you're as excited as we are.
0: Like the strategy discussion you heard? Want to hear more about the tactics of this list? Sign up for our Patreon at aow40k.com, where we go deep into details of optimal play this has been art of war a strategy and tactics podcast for warhammer 40k hosted by nick nanavati and john damaris produced by seamus ronan find us at aow40k.com and of course connect Connect. on facebook just look for aow 40k aow 40k aow 40k till next time